LightSource is available free of charge through studiolighting.net. You can support LightSource by visiting supportlightsource.com. There you can donate through the tip jar, purchase a lighting DVD, get a discount on website hosting through squarespace.com, or you can visit our affiliate links for Adorama or amazon.com where you can shop for camera gear or photography books, and a portion of those proceeds will help support LightSource. Hey guys, this is Jason Wallace, editorial and advertising photographer, and you're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 84 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I am Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer with iStockphoto.com. On today's episode, we are going to have an interview with Jason Wallace. His website can be found at jasonwallace.com. That's W-A-L-L-I-S. Not to be confused with Studio Lighting 101's Mark Wallace, who is spelled yep. differently. <laughs> and incidentally, they are friends, which is... Even more ironic. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, yeah, it was a good interview with uh, Jason, a good portrait photographer, has some really interesting points, and so it should be a really good interview. Absolutely. In the meantime, I just want to also remind everybody that our competition with the Orbis Ring Flash folks is drawing to an end. The deadline for that contest is midnight on Eastern Standard Time, Friday, July 3rd. So for all you guys who are listening to this podcast, you have like another day or two to get those (laughs) images in. (laughs) So head on over to studiolighting.net and uh, check out all the details and what you have to do to enter the contest. And we look forward to seeing your entries. There's quite a number of entries so far and would like to see some more in there. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast after the contest deadline, you can check out the entries and probably the winners will be announced uh, within a couple of weeks as well. So keep checking back at the site for that too. Well, we don't have a whole lot to cover. It's kind of like the summer. It seems like it's low time for news that's going on in the industry. One thing, though, to mention, coming up here in July 18th, uh, Scott Kelby's doing his second annual Worldwide Photo Walk, and you can check that out at WorldwidePhotoWalk.com. I had a couple of my friends send me in a link and said we should do one, and I looked at the date and said, I'm not going to be in town. Ah. So, Bill, we can't get together and do one. Are you going to go to some other one? Well, I'm going to be on vacation at that time. I'll be in Hilton Head. Initially, when I looked, there wasn't anything, but now there is one. So me and someone else are listed so far. <laughs> cool. Yeah, if anyone's listening and they're going to be in the area, in the, the Hilton Head, uh, South Carolina area, definitely uh, sign up on the website and come take a walk with me. Outstanding. I think there's one that's going to be semi-local as well here, Bill. I think there's one going to be in uh, New Cumberland or something. I'll have to check that out because that's a fun time. Yeah, it would be neat. To, and, you know, even if it doesn't work out and if there's anyone in the south central Pennsylvania area that would like to do some on a weekend, they should uh, drop us a note or a, a link on our Twitter feed and we'll see if we can't organize something yeah, just informal and fun and see what we can do. Yeah, we've done that a couple of times where we've had some listeners let us know that they're in town. That's always a nice opportunity. So feel free to do that. And other than that, we should get into our interview with Jason Wallace. On this edition of The Light Source, we have with us this evening uh, photographer Jason Wallace. Uh, you can follow along with him at jasonwallace.com. That's W-A-L-L-I-S. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. 
Tell us a little bit about what type of photography that you do. I mean, it seems to me like you specialize with people, but I mean, would you say that that's the heart of the style of photography that you do? Definitely. Uh, an editorial portrait, I guess, would probably be the best two-word description of what I do. Definitely a, a lit kind of thing, and that's why I like what you guys do, and talking about the lighting and, and that kind of thing, and that's something I really enjoy doing. So, uh, yeah, it definitely focuses on people and um, their stories for magazines, generally speaking. Okay. Did you have anything that, as you were getting into photography, that helped you gravitate towards that or anything that well, kind of sparked that interest? Probably like many people that listen to this podcast, Steve McCurry's Afghan Red Fiji Girl was very striking to me. And it was one of the first images that made me really want to be a photographer, that and Richard Avedon's work. So between the influences of those two guys, just uh, focusing on people and their stories and, you know, just seeing as much as you can, you know, from an image, you know. I've always been real relational, just kind of personally. I mean, I just, I like to hear people's stories, like to get to know them. And that's been a, really a very intriguing thing about photography is it, it combines my love of people and love of art, which is a great combination. It really comes across in your work. And that was one thing Bill was saying to me before we started the show was that your images seem to tell a story about a person in a in a still frame. And it's it's interesting the way that you do it. Do you guys spend much time on the set when you're with the person? Do you try and relate to the person? Like some of these editorial portraits, I assume that they're business people and they don't exactly have a whole lot of time. But I mean, what's it like a little bit on the set? Right. Absolutely. I'm, you know, it's funny because my team kind of makes fun of me a lot of times because I am very involved in getting the other person and it, that's a great thing about having a great team is I can let them kind of set up the gear and, and lights and that kind of thing while I'm getting another person. And I feel like I'm always trying to find out, there's, you know, this, it's the Kevin Bacon game. I guess I'm always <laughs> playing, you know, trying to find the connection I have with them. And like we said earlier, the world is very small. And uh, I find that pretty consistently I can find some connection at some point, you know, knowing a similar person or, you know, having some kind of life experience. And uh, so I'm very curious by nature. And so that just, I that, I guess, my curiosity. Do you consciously study up on that sort of thing? Or are you just trying to like be well-rounded so you have some sort of a, a knowledge bank to draw from with people? Or is it just something that you're naturally inquisitive about? I'm, I'm very naturally inquisitive. I'm very fascinated by so many different things. I remember as a kid wanting to be an actor because I felt like I could play all these different roles and have different professions within one profession. So the screen didn't work out for me. So I'm much better behind the camera than I am in front. Of it. So, <laughs> That's cool. You know, it's it's been real interesting just to get people's stories and just just getting to know them and understanding. You know, and depending on who it is and their level of notoriety. But I'll generally do a Google search of who I'm photographing just to kind of get some kind of talking point that I can start off with without seeming like a stalker. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I noticed you were at the coffee shop last night. Exactly. That red sweater was great. Yeah. We'll have to see at the end of, uh, maybe at the end of the show, if you can figure out if you know anybody that Ed knows. <laughs> we'll, we'll give it a shot. Well, it will be easy, I guess. Since That'll be a fun game. It turns out that you, you, are, uh, you do know Mark Wallace, so... Absolutely. There, there we go. <laughs> and the little known fact, I can link myself to Kevin Bacon in six steps. See? There you go. Nice. There you go. <laughs> I, I don't think I've figured out how, how I can do it, but uh, uh, we'll get there one day. <laughs> That's great. Well, when you go into a photo session with the subject, in particular someone who you're trying to sort of capture their story, do you pre-visualize some of these images or do, do these compositions come from spending time with them? You know, some of it we go into it. There's one image in uh, in portfolio one of on my current site. It's spread number six. The guy on the right, 
he his name is Dr. Uh, David Bronner. He is over all the retirement systems of Alabama and the state that I live in. So he's very well known in the state, and he's done a lot of great things with the money, investing the money for these the state employees. So just talking with an art director friend of mine, just knowing the story, we were kind of conceptualizing what can we do that would be interesting, but at the same time, this man has about 10 minutes he can give me. So the whole idea of the Monopoly Board is kind of his the way that he moves different businesses around the state and the, you know, the, the retirement systems of Alabama, they, they own several different businesses. They own a majority stake in, in the airline and hotels and golf courses and that kind of thing. So he's kind of, you know, the Donald Trump of, of Alabama and he's been very successful and very good thing for the state. So he was willing to uh, have a good time with it. And, That's great. And go with us there. So um, <laughs> I love how not all the time, they're not all willing to do that. <laughs> right. but, uh, he was, he was very gracious to do that. I love how all the houses are on Boardwalk and Park Place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and a, all the money's uh, on his side of the table. That's right. Exactly, because that's about how it rolls. <laughs> but then, like, uh, to the left of him is the governor of the state. And, you know, again, I, I had just a few minutes with him, and we wanted to do an interesting portrait. And so a lot of times I'll look at other people's work, and obviously that's an homage to Platon. I'm not sure how to say his name, but... His work, you know, the wide angle lens, a little lower, giving people, you know, kind of that heroic look. And, you know, the cowboy boots is something that <laughs> we went into it knowing because he wears those every day. That's and great. so the story we were doing on him was very much kind of this John Wayne. He's uh, the kind of the pitch they gave me on the story was, hey, this guy, you know, he's not so concerned with party lines. He's more kind of the guy doing just what's right. You know, I mean, he's just trying to look out for the state and do what's best for the state. And it's not as, as dependent upon his party. So, you know, it's one of those things that we kind of went with his kind of cowboy, outlaw kind of personality. Very cool. Tell us about the settings. Uh, a lot of your images have like very natural settings. How how important is the background, the environment to you and, and how you tell your story with visual media? Well, definitely, it, it, you know, I love the whole idea of an environmental portrait because I think that obviously tells a lot about the story of who we're dealing with. Um, so the, depending on the story, if if it's for a magazine or an ad campaign, that's what we find it typically people are hiring for to uh, to tell the story within a frame. Because you know, idea ideally, you know, they want people to grasp kind of the concept of the story initially, just looking at the image. So in that portfolio one, I guess it's spread eight. It's a guy that he started and leads the Green Resource Center of Alabama. So. He is kind of leading the way. He's a he's a financial planner, but he's leading the way of you know lead certified buildings. He built the first lead certified building in his community. It's a suburb of Birmingham where I live. So you know that was the whole story of this guy that is very forward thinking and and uh, green concepts and and lead buildings. That was obviously you know we wanted to put him in a green environment. That's and, awesome. Uh, <laughs> kind of go go literal on that. I love the green jacket. Yeah, uh, I can't take credit for every thought on these because I've got a great team. I work well in a collaborative environment. That's just really what I've always enjoyed. So uh, there's uh, a lot of people that kind of put their two cents in and uh, and help con- concept a lot of the images. Well, I tell you what, tell us a little bit about your team. You've mentioned them a couple times now. I mean, do you have a creative director on staff or do you have like a bunch of grips that just lend ideas to you or things like that? Well, as far as, you know, concepting a lot of things depends a one of the magazines I work closely with, Thicket Magazine, is a statewide Alabama magazine that's just at a year old. We have a creative team, you know, creative director that has been involved with that from the beginning. 
as well as for the different ad agencies. Obviously, when we're working with uh, different art directors, that you know, very uh, fortunate that I get to work with these guys. That they've they've got great ideas. You know, it's not a situation of an art director that you're you know trying to have to implement something right. that's you know, not really good. These guys have great ideas and they, um, you know, just bring me in to help be part of that team. But on the editorial side, a lot of these things, a lot of them just kind of come from in the moment. A lot of times, uh, number 11 in that portfolio one is a chef in Chicago that I went up to shoot for a, a metal floss magazine and he cooks with liquid nitrogen. Uh, this is Amaro Conti cool. from um, Conti Restaurant. And not right. His name is Amaro, Amaro Conti, the restaurant. I can't remember the name of. But he cooks and, and does a lot of things with liquid nitrogen and, and uses science a lot. So that was kind of it was part of the genius issue that Mental Floss did. So, uh, you know, I think that, I saw him that was. Fast Yes, exactly. He was on the cover of Fast Company a couple of years ago. At that point, he had a few minutes to spend with me and was showing me around the kitchen. And I was like, man, that look, you know, I love smoke. I mean, what photographer doesn't love smoke and light? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, give me some smoke. So, you know, it, there's really no, I guess, tried and true. Every time it's the same. It's real organic, which is, I like working that way. Um, you know, my favorite thing when I was playing music, uh, which was my career before this, was just kind of the improv sections. You know, I would sit and the guys I played with, they were phenomenal players and I would, they would just take off and improvise. And so that's kind of what I like doing on set a lot of times is um, just kind of improvising and seeing what grows out of it. And uh, I took a class with Joe McNally a few years back. Just always been a big fan of his work. And, and he was very instrumental in that as just showing you, hey, even though he's a pro, he can still allow ideas to evolve on set as things are going down. So it was real kind of encouraging to, to see him do that and uh, be a part of that process. And so it's just kind of really bolstered my confidence in, hey, you don't have to have it all figured out. Right. You know, just let it, let it flow and let it go. That's excellent. This is a great metaphor, too, thinking of it as a musician would. You go off of the other artists that are around you, and the end result is better than it ever would have been if anybody planned Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely, cool. and that's that's the that's the genius of collaboration, in my opinion. Well, now when it comes to that kind of shooting, though, a musician can just kind of grab their guitar and they're they're done. <laughs> Sometimes a photographer right. needs a lot of different kind of tools. How do you handle that? Are you prepared for anything when you go to a set, or do you bring minimum gear, a lot of gear? Do you like? <laughs> it's funny that that's where it goes back into my team. My assistant is uh, constantly. Uh, you know, running back to the truck, man, I forgot <laughs> this, or man, I want this. So a lot of times we will pack up, but, you know, at the same time, there are things that, you know, you'll get on set and I want to do something, and we will have to improvise. If we don't have the big lights, we'll pull out, you know, a strobe is set up or something like that and just go with it that way and, and adapt. And, you know, sometimes the shot, as we're talking about being organic, you know, I mean, you got to work with what you got. I mean, MacGyver was one of my favorite TV shows, and, <laughs> you know, awesome. I learned from him. <laughs> You do with what you have and make it happen. Sometimes it doesn't go exactly as planned, but we get something that we're happy with and we definitely push the limits and, you know, go as far as we possibly can at that time with what we've got. So it's great. Holding up reflectors with bubble gum and paper clips is then. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's another thing, you know, when, when we, I was in that class with Joe, is he'll grab a, a bed sheet from his hotel and always bring it with him, you know, and. Nice. You know, the the countless shots he's done with a bed sheet and a Nikon speedlight behind it, you know, it's it's definitely not rocket science. It's just being creative and problem solving, I guess, is the biggest thing that I found. Yeah, housekeeping probably loves him. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've uh, taken his uh, MO a couple of times and stolen some bed sheets. So, <laughs> and uh, I don't think I've been charged for any of them yet. I think yeah. we put them all back. But, <laughs> but in that case, you borrowed them. That's right. Exactly. That's right. There we go. <laughs> well, now, what percentage of the images in your portfolio, approximately, would you say are natural light versus artificial light? The majority are definitely me using some kind of ex- external off-camera light source. That's cool. I, I love the Santa Fe workshops. I've I've been out there a couple of different times and really benefit from those those workshops. And uh, one of the classes I took was with Norman Jean Roy, and you know he was real influential in in kind of a, the idea of hiding the source. It was something that he was really uh, working on at that time, and, and something that really you know I really kind of gravitated towards. So in that portfolio one. You know, the shots in the second spread of the kids, you know, I, my goal was for those to look available light, but those are both wow. lit. That's awesome. Um, and then the other one that actually I shot right after I took his class would be uh, the girl in the chair spread seven. That's uh, lit as well. Man. And that day was probably about 35 degrees. It was raining outside, but, you know, we had a look we wanted. So we just took inspiration from Norman and from Joe and, you know, put a sheet over the window and put some light through it and, you know, <laughs> made it, made it look, uh, as much like daylight as we could, you know? So could that's uh, give me midday spring. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. That's great. Well, I actually, I was hoping that you would say that because I was going to comment and we were commenting before we called about how natural all these images look as far as lighting goes. So, but if you don't mind, could we dig into the setup on this, the image with the girl in the chair, for example, just Absolutely. to get a feel for what, what it takes to make Absolutely. an image look like that? Uh, on that shot, actually, I, I said a bed sheet. On that one, we actually had a seven foot octobank right up that double French door right there to her right, or camera right, to her left over her shoulder. And so we had a, just an octobank there, and then I had a big foam core uh, to her left, also a little bit of fill back in there. And I think that was it on that shot. Now, there's some other shots in the series I don't think I posted that we had a couple of different lights coming through the lights so that the windows would all kind of be blown out. That was a look that we were going for. But, you know, the biggest thing is just kind of learning the science of how light reacts and, and the bigger the source, the softer the light. So we were trying to fill up that window as much as we could. So we had that big seven foot octobank out there um, with a pro photo to uh, acute setup 2400. So and it was, I was probably popping pretty, pretty close to full power at that, but I was probably shooting at like five, six or so. That's great. So you made your own son. Basically. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you use the large octodome? A lot? You know, that's probably, out of my portfolio, that's probably the only one that I use that on uh, because generally we've got the Camaro one that uh, expands and just practicality, it's, it's easier to keep it not at, at seven foot. It's more like five foot right. most of the time. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll kind of get into a different light source and be working with that. Right now I'm really into kind of a, a small bank with a grid on it right now that I'm really digging. So, on my blog, I just got back from India. I don't know if you guys saw those photos. Yeah, those are great. All of those, just limitations of gear carrying over there. You know, that was all with a small bank on a white lightning 1600 with a, a Vagabond. And that was my one light that I had for that whole series. And TSA actually confiscated my battery on the way back. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you know anybody in TSA, tell them to send my battery home. From the Vagabond? Yeah, they oh, ripped man. it open. I got. <gasps> I mean, I, I picked up my case when I got a, got it from the luggage place at the airport, and I was like, "Man, that's kind of light." And uh, wow. they had ripped the battery out of it. No, 
But oh. uh, kudos to White Lightning. They they designed it completely according to VOT specs. But, you know, I talked to a guy there, and he, he said, you know, we can't guarantee they won't take it. You know? Wow. So it's one of the costs of doing business. That's right. But, uh, I'm, I'm just glad it didn't get grabbed on the way over. Yeah, isn't that the truth? That would have been a different story. We would have... Uh, what I was finding in, in India is I don't think that the Strobus, just using my uh, little speed lights, I don't think that would have been powerful enough for what I really wanted to achieve. So uh, I'm really glad that they didn't take it. So you did a lot of shooting outdoors? Yes, it was all all outdoors over there. And so you were combating the sunshine a lot? Yeah, it was really bright. And and that's what I find, too. I, part of this is, is probably born out of uh, impatience that I don't want to wait for the right light. Right. I, I kind of want to create it. <laughs> Make your own. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of times either my schedule or the, the subject schedule just doesn't permit waiting, you know, hours for the, for the light to get right. So that's why I've kind of gravitated. And uh, I guess another reason that I've gravitated to using, you know, external lighting situation like that, you know, we, a lot of, we just kind of had to take what we had. We we're in these rural villages and we we're there around lunchtime so obviously the sun was real high in the sky but um i was able to find a little bit of shade from a tree picking over into this wheat field for the this one shot of this lady holding her child in the in the oranges yellow and the child's in red and so we were able to put them in that little bit of uh shade so that the sun was not influencing influencing any exposure on them and, okay. and so really the exposure from that's on them came completely from the light that's great and we just took the ambient that's just a, a, a one light source and a ref- is there a reflector or anything for phil not even a reflector really that, no. that's great yeah i guess technically we could say it's two two light sources including the sun because the guy in the green uh, jacket i used the sun as kind of a rim light you know we positioned him so that okay. it was hitting him uh, it, it looks like two lights but you know that that all that light on the back of him is is just the sun and I actually did that one with uh, with a speed light just one speed light so nice you, you can really, if you kind of, you know, push your sync speeds a little bit, you can you can get a lot out of those little lights. David Hobby's done a lot a lot of great things for, for the small strobe community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, back to India for a minute because we really didn't ask why you were in India. Were you there for for work? Yeah, I was. You know, I, I like to as much as I can do support nonprofits. You work with nonprofits, and uh, a friend of mine has an organization, and they uh, facilitate drilling deep water wells. In, uh, in northern India. Nice. So um, basically, I went with him to document the process. Kind of, this is the first time they, it's a relatively new organization, so this is the first time they've actually seen the wells that they've wow. you know, had drilled. So it was his first time seeing them. But, um, you know, it, he was he was very open to the idea of me going and kind of doing what I do because I really struggled with the fact that he was you know, having me go, but I had looked at several of his images that he had been, he had taken when he was on the field. And I, and I looked at them saying, okay, if I just go and just shoot without lights, just kind of shoot, my photos aren't going to look any different than his, right. you know what I mean? And there's just no added value for me to go. So I kind of, you know, talked through this with a f- bunch of friends and was just saying, hey, what can I do that's going to add value and be a reason for me to be there, you know? So um, we really, just through the conversations I had with a few different people, you know, just a lot of the blogs I read and the people that I'm influenced by, you know, I mean, I just, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I pushed the limits and did what it was that I could do. So uh, it was, and it was a hassle taking the light, (laughs) extra piece of baggage. And, you know, I I didn't have my assistant, you know, I was just driving with this organization and their board members and 
I mean, these guys that were um, not photo assistants at all, holding my gear and <laughs> putting up with me saying, no, raise it a little bit more, put it over this way, you know. And, um, but but they were very um, gracious to do that. And I don't know if I said the name of the organization. It's Never Thirst is the name of the organization. And uh, like I said, it's relatively new. Um, their goal is to drill 100 wells this year in northern wow. India. So um, they're well on their way for that. That's very cool. Oh, yeah. when you were in the villages, is there a language barrier, I assume? Yes, um, they, you know, because of the British occupation of India, there there's a great amount of the population that does speak English. So we had a translator with us, but in those villages, you know, they have no education. So they, you know, have not been in school where they would have learned English. So, and India is just such a huge and diverse place that even our translator would have times where he couldn't communicate completely with the people just because of the different right. dialects. I mean, every village has its own dialect and its own customs and it can be very difficult to communicate but the great thing is they're curious people and once I set up the lights and kind of went with one exposure I mean they were fascinated and so you know they they would just kind of get in line and just get in line for a photo so they're very very willing subjects which made that part of the job easy you just kind of connect with them eye to eye and just point to your eyes and they look straight at you and you know just give you the most honest expression that they have they you know they're not around this kind of media that we live media world that we live in and so they it's not something that they uh, know how to do is really hide anything they just kind of wow. give you their honest who they are that's very it's cool. really cool yeah the, the, they're fascinating images just a really neat connection i was curious how you being someone who likes to make the connection with your subject i wondered if that was a challenge for you just but it's cool to hear you explain it that way yeah it was funny that it uh, i've got two small children and initially i mean you know there's kids running around everywhere in these villages and so making the connection even just just because i play with my kids all the time and that was kind of a an entry point and once kind of the adults saw me playing with the kids they you know there's a i guess an element of safety that they see hey this this guy is not i mean he's not here to hurt us or do anything weird or you know they right. they see kind of the innocence of playing with the kids and then they were right there being willing as well. So That sounds like a great trip. It was. It was. Well, while we're still talking about trips, one of the images that shows up when you go to your, to your website is a shot that you talk about on your blog from Ireland. Okay. And you have some... It's kind of funny because it's a, it's one of the first shots that you see when you come to the website, but it's it's a bit different than a lot of the images that we've talked about so far, where it's not really focused on a person; it's more of a, a landscape shot. Right. But it, it's um, an extremely powerful landscape shot. Well, um, I guess my just intense curiosity, not only with people and getting to know people, but also with techniques and things like that. So I'm always kind of pushing, trying to learn something new. I actually took this trip to Ireland probably three years ago, and the images were. You know, they were okay for me at that point. You know, I just, I didn't really, it's funny because if you look through any of, almost all of my Ireland photos are all landscape. There's no people. Uh, It was before I'd kind of made that really distinct decision to um, focus on people. So I was really kind of doing more of just the tourist thing and, you know, just but trying to do as much as I could as, as well as I could. And so um, we were actually going down into Giant's Causeway and these are, you know, some of my um, travel companions are going down, but um, about uh, probably around Christmas time this year, just experiencing with some new retouching techniques inspired by um, Eric Almas, some of those guys that are doing some really cool things with sky replacements and stuff. So I thought back to this image and I was like, man, I bet, I bet we could do something cool with that. So um, 
we actually uh, actually took three or four images from that trip and really you know spent some time kind of processing them and so, um, that's actually just a replaced sky that really because it was real you know Ireland you know those days and that uh, environment is so gray and rainy all the time I mean it's really it really is like that and so to bring that in just kind of add an, another spark of color and, and level to it as far as it being the first shot on my side it's I always struggle with editing my work and how to put things in and where to put things. Because this edit you see right now is probably like third or fourth one that, as far as portfolio, the third or fourth one I did, just trying to get it right and going to friends saying, and they're, they're, they would tell me, hey, you know what? That's not you. Go do it again. Right. So uh, <laughs> I just uh, making selects is not my strong suit. So. <laughs> right. Well, two things real quickly. I mean, the one, I, it's funny, you know, I said that it's a little uncharacteristic of your work, but it has a very inviting feel the way that it's the the, the composition of it, the people walking away from the photo. It kind of reminds you of, um, suggests someone walking into the site is was what I kind of get out of the placement of it. And that's um, exactly what I wanted you to think. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I got it. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to talk about real quick was the sky replacement. I uh-huh. totally didn't even get that when you had said that. I was really shocked to hear you say that it was a, a faked-in sky because it's done extremely well. Now, did you shoot that sky specifically for this image, or was that one that you had from another image that you brought into it? Because it's it's done very believably. See, I, I, I've always been fascinated with clouds and skies and the color blue it's probably i don't know how consistent it shows with my work but i love blue and i just i I gravitate towards that so i've always photographed the sky it's just been something i've always done so i probably had a bank but since i've kind of learned that techniques if if i see an interesting sky i'll go ahead and shoot it to have it in my catalog for future reference and in fact you know just doing that and this goes back to kind of pushing yourself and pushing the limits is something I try to do a lot and just learning new things. That image that you talk about on the, the first page landed me a job doing a very similar thing, but with people a little more prominent, but, you know, wrapping up the retouching on it. But it was, that was the whole job is what they wanted was making sure that we had good skies. And, you know, the days we were shooting, one of them was gray and rainy, so we had to replace the sky. But thankfully, I had spent that time learning that technique and it worked out. It's kind of like the Chase Jarvis theory where he always talks about you shoot what you want to shoot to get the jobs where you're going to be hired to shoot the things. That, am, I say, am I saying this right? <laughs> what you want to shoot, yeah. <laughs> he did the video of the ninjas in hopes that somebody would exactly. hire him to shoot ninjas. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> His blog is something I read regularly, and, and that's probably one of the ones that influenced a lot of what I'm talking about, just pushing myself of not selling for uh, just doing the work when somebody's paying you for it. And I mean, a lot of the guys listening to this that shoot for magazines know, I mean, that's no great, big, huge moneymaker, but it's, you get to kind of stretch your creative wings when you work with a great team and, you know, somebody that trusts your vision. And a lot of the images that are in my portfolio are created for a magazine and just them letting me experiment. So it works so, out so nice is, that way. is that one way that you, you kind of made the break into getting into doing more magazine work was doing a lot of the stuff that you wanted to shoot and then use that as your portfolio piece to get a get a foot in the door? Absolutely. You know, and my first job in photography was, was kind of a second shooter slash assistant for free at a local magazine in our city in Birmingham. And when I did that, quickly, you know, when people don't have money, they'll kind of take anybody that will shoot for them. And <laughs> so they thankfully let me kind of 
just experiment and basically as long as it it was good or wasn't horrible i guess i should say they let me go with it and um you know and and the thing is is i'm gonna shoot if i'm getting paid or not i mean it's just something i love to do you know and like the india stuff you know i mean that obviously working for a nonprofit, you know that was my kind of donation to them is just to help support them i wanted to create great images because i wanted to create them you know i mean and because i like to shoot people and these people were beautiful and interesting and the scenery was incredible. And so, you know, it wasn't about a paycheck. It was about just the love of doing it. And, you know, I, I think if, if you can be lucky enough to get a paycheck for doing something you love, I mean, that's, I guess, the ultimate that we're all after, right? Right. If we can just talk about two more subjects quick and technical sure. in nature. One that I had, and I'm totally changing the subject on you. So if we can... While we're talking about a couple of the images that are in your portfolio, there's one in portfolio one that is kind of intriguing to me, and I was curious if you'd talk us through that a little bit. Mostly backlit, it's in a theater, and it's kind of got a blue tone surprise. Could you uh, talk us through the lighting of that? Because I think it's really interesting and kind of a unique image. Absolutely. That is actually a portfolio image I made in Santa Fe in my class with Norman Jean Roy. That was idea I had of, of what I wanted to do, and I was really struggling of how to do it and remember when we talked through it and so basically it's a, it's a big strip light on a, a proposed 7B above and behind and and as we were talking through it you know he's like okay where if you're in a theater like this where's the light going to be coming through nice. just think through it logically and I was like well it's going to be coming from you know the projector behind her and he's like there you go so so basically we put the light where the projector would be or as, to simulate that and then actually, there's just two big white foam core boards in front of her, as if it were on a movie screen, bouncing it back to her. So a lot so, of a lot of that style of lighting is is getting that natural look comes from just trying to think through the situation ahead of time where the natural light would come from anyway. Absolutely, a thing to call it is motivated light that I've I've learned from cinematic, and and that's really what I study now is a lot of cinema films in general because I like whole storytelling aspects so even from a lighting perspective I'm trying to think of things more from a movie maker's kind of viewpoint in motivated lighting most closely representing what would be there because what I find with an actual strobe is it sharpens the image and it gives it you know more saturation in the colors and that kind of thing so it's almost like you get the best of both worlds you get the the look of what it would be just to our eyes, but then there's this special kind of the next level that just makes it pop out just a little bit. Um, and that I think you really get from the strobe. That's a very cool way to think about it. Many of the images in your third portfolio page are black and white. And I was just curious, do you approach those any differently when it comes to lighting, when you know that it's going to be black and white spread? And if so, what do you do differently? Oh, the jazz musicians, those were shot black and white four by five. And that was the most obvious homage I could do to Richard Avedon. I just finished my class with Norman Jean Roy, who is also very influenced by Richard Avedon. In fact, I called, I had this assignment for this story for when I got back from the class. And I called the writer while I was out there set and just told him, I said, I know what I'm going to do. I know what we're going to do because sitting in, in, in talking to Norman as he's talking about Richard Avedon and, and how influential he is and me thinking back to these, you know, the American West series that I've seen and it was so influenced. So, you know, I knew at that point, hey, this is how I'm going to do it. So those are completely available light, open shade in Very front cool. of a white backdrop. Very cool. The, the girl with her arms folded, same thing. That was actually shot in Santa Fe while I was doing the class. 
the guy, the far, uh, the first spread, the two older gentlemen, the guy on the left is uh, Bart Starr, one of the most, I guess, I think he's one of the winningest coaches in NFL history, you know, NFL legend. At that point, these older gentlemen, we're trying to figure out a way to kind of present them with uh, respect, character, show their character, not be afraid to show the wrinkles and show their, you know, the wisdom and, and all that's in their face. And so um, black and white just really lent itself to these images. But I guess the one on the left, I did know that we were going to run that in black and white. The one on the right, until I showed up and kind of met the guy, you know, I didn't know that we would run that in black and white. And I shot those both digitally. But, you know, that's what we ended up doing. So I knew I wanted to like the guy on the right a little bit, a little more dramatic because I wanted, um, he's a, uh, his name is Morris Dees. He's a civil rights attorney. And has done great work for. He started the Southern Poverty Law Center in Alabama, and has taken on national cases of hate crimes for the victims. And so, he's a very um, genuine man, but has done great things. And but has seen a lot of you know just despicable things, but fights against that. So the goal is to kind of portray that in his face, and mm. you know. But again, you know, a man of his stature and what he does, he doesn't have much time. So uh, just shut up a a gray seamless in, in their office or the, in the conference room. Shot about 10 frames of that. Had him sitting in their chair for an opening spread photo. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, he was off. That's great. So, um, again, something like that. I had to go in knowing, hey, this is what we're going to do so that we don't waste his time. You know, I, I really do not like wasting people's time. All right. Including my own. Those are great images. Thank you. Before we wrap up here, I have a couple quick questions for you. Now, you're a cannon shooter. That's correct. And... And you're shooting currently with the 5D Mark II. Well, actually, I have. Uh, I, I do shoot with the 5D Mark II. I've also got a lot of my advertising stuff. Um, we use the one Mark III 1DS, and then I've also got the Mark III 1D. So I kind of splurged and got them all. <laughs> <laughs> Can't decide. <laughs> well, you know, they all have their value. And, and actually, I got the 5D Mark II to be a backup for my 1DS Mark III. And if you can speak to Canon about these names, I mean... Just like Bill would be a better name for you know, <laughs> um, to help differentiate them, but I got the the five D to be a backup just because of the file size. You know, I, I, if if a camera goes down and, and it has shooting, and art director's expecting you know a twenty plus megapixel file, you know, I want to make sure that I can provide him with that. I'm actually playing with video a lot with it. Um, just like a lot That's of that's where I was hoping we would go with this. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, everybody said it. It's a game changer, you know. And the uh, footage on it is amazing. We actually did a, you know, just a, a web video for a company here in town over the last couple of days, shooting on the 5D. It's interesting to see what the landscape of of this whole image making is going to look like in a couple of years. You have some really great videos on your website. There's some really good behind the scenes stuff for people that are listening to check out. I had pointed out the bill when uh, we were talking about things that we wanted to talk about. And I pulled up on Vimeo, you have an video called A Slightly Rainy Day. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. It's great. I, I'm sitting there watching the, watching the kid run back and forth through the puddle. I'm going, why can't I be that happy? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my son. And uh, yeah, he was, uh, I had just gotten the 5D and I was out playing with it. And the whole editing and, you know, shooting videos is, you know, I feel like it, my early days of photography, I'm just like a kid in a candy store having fun with it. And yeah. so he was just jumping around and I thought, okay, now here's some footage. So this is a good, good test for me to figure out, okay, how can I tell a small story like this and, you know, do something comical with it? Cause just editing that down and, and seeing what we made of it. That's great. But that was all shot with the 5D. But you've actually taken this from 
from aside from fun projects and actually turned it into some commercial work that you've done with the camera. Yeah, we're, we've done a, a couple of motion projects. Like I said, we just finished one that we shot completely on the 5D that's being delivered to the client, hopefully, by the end of this week. We're just excited to see the, the possibilities of that. To me, it's still making images, and I love movies and always have and even love commercials. I mean, I, I really, you know, a, a well-done 30-second spot. So that's a very, in my opinion, hard thing to do, to craft something that's humorous, tells a story, you know, all those things that, so many of the great smart advertising spots do. That's kind of a, something that I, I see as a very a very fun challenge. I mean, do you think that the there are limitations to it that would make someone think that they could do something better with something that's video specific, or is it Absolutely. is it really that Absolutely. cool? Well, it it is that cool because it puts in a very familiar format in the hands of you know still photographers the capabilities of doing this this high def you know video. But it, it's definitely got its limitations. It's kind of sacrilege to say, but there are guys putting Nikon lenses on those because the Nikon lenses have the manual you know, aperture control, which mm. can fool the, the automatic functions of the 5D, you know, into getting that real shallow depth of field. Um, and there, you know, it's, it's that, and that's the so such the cool thing about it is Canon said here, here's this piece of machinery go do with it what you will and, right. and you know Vincent LaFerre led the charge and really kind of pushed the limits and I kind of doubt that they were thinking people would be doing the things that they're doing with it right now and you know I just think it's going to be you know the next couple iterations of it are going to be even more and more user-friendly and more manual controls and cooler and cooler and it's definitely not going to go backwards it's only going to get better from here on out you know when, when you have those low and no budget projects right. um, it works great for that and, uh, and it pushes creativity. I mean, ultimately, creativity is the thing that that's the thing that's so valuable anyway. You know, it's the idea. If you get a good idea, then make it look the best you can. But it's the idea that's going to sell itself anyway. I do have a question from Twitter from a fan of yours. And someone has given us a question to ask you. He says, uh, looking forward to this interview. Can you ask him to touch on his incredible use of fill? How does he keep those shadows so soft? How would you respond to that person? I guess it would depend on the image they're talking about, right. but typically, I mean, a big light source, you know, a lot, of, a lot of it is that I like to have detail in the shadows, you know, and I don't like them to block up. So a lot of times it's just, is just using a big light source, but then it's very difficult for us to use just a big foam core or white reflector or whatever, you know, to bounce some of the main light back into it without knowing a specific image that's probably i guess the best just kind of overall answer is just a big light source well, what about metering and checking histograms how are you sure that you're you're not getting blocked blacks and so forth is there anything you do that's special there um no i i mean if i fault on an exposure i generally overexpose that's my uh, achilles heel i guess <laughs> if i'm gonna mess something up that's what i'm gonna do I'm not as worried about making things too dark because I guess, you know, just from the beginning, I've always been paranoid of that. Just the grain and stuff, noise in the shadows. But of course, you know, my highlights are gone. They're gone. So, right, right. you know, it's, it's threading the needle. Well, cool. Well, Jason, I, I really want to thank you for spending some time with us tonight and for being an inspiration Absolutely. to me and, and to Ed and uh, a lot of people who are going to hear the show. Man, it's been a great time talking with you. Great. Well, thanks so much for having me. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. 
Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other LightSource episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the LightSource Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash LightSource. You can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of. And as always, if you missed any of these links, our quick outro here, you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net. Till next time. Bye-bye. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Network.com.